the apostle said to Jesus, increase our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I want to thank St. Paul's Church for the invitation extended to be your guest celebrant and preacher this morning. And for your warm welcome, I must say that uh, your clergy I've known here for a number of years, though I'm not canonically resident of this diocese when I was in active parish ministry. But Charleston is my home, and it's good to be back home in Charleston and been a part of Seafarer's ministry for 10 years now. Father John had asked if I would, uh, when I would come this morning, would I talk about seafarers? And I said, I would be happy to. I believe the South. I think Dean's going to take care of it. <laughs> Certainly, it's a joy to, to be here to talk about the ministry. Uh, such a beautiful outline that was printed on the cover uh, this morning uh, about the ministry. I feel like that's the sermon uh, right there. Uh, sort of brings back a thought of a, a sign in front of a church a couple of years ago passing through Clayton, Georgia. And this sign read, having trouble sleeping, we have sermons, come hear one. <laughs> but um, it's a joy to be able to stand here this morning and talk about a legacy that St. Paul's has for a long time been a part of, continuing a, a, now a 200-year legacy almost here in Charleston. The Seafarers Ministry is believed to be the oldest cross-cultural ministry in our country to date, dating back in Charleston to 1820, when a group of Christians, a small hand, or just a handful of people, uh, wanted to reach out and do a ministry to seafarers, seafaring being such a vital part of the economy of Charleston, and historically has been for our country. So they raised $5,000 and they purchased property on historic Church Street in downtown Charleston, on the corner of Church and Water Street, which once where the Marinus Ch Chapel of Charleston uh, was there located. And it was there for some years, and uh, but it was destroyed in the earthquake in 1886. But it's believed that by the time of the destruction of that uh, chapel, over 50,000 Mariners had heard the gospel preached there. In, uh, from the Mariners Church of Charleston. The pulpit, we're told, was designed in the form of a bow of a ship, where inscribed in gold lettering on the front of the pulpit, he taught from a ship. Well, after the, uh, the, the ministry there, uh, the location there was destroyed, it was merged with a ministry that had recently begun a separate initiative and it was started at Grace Church in downtown Charleston under the Reverend Charles Coatsworth Pinckney. And Dr. Pinckney was a second cousin of Harriet Pinckney, the daughter of General Charles Coatsworth Pinckney of the Revolutionary War fame. And this ministry stemmed out of a vision that Harriet Pinckney had as a child. She would see the ships coming into Charleston, and she was determined to do something about the plight of these seafarers lonely and away from home for long periods of time. And so she envisioned a chapel at a home that would be erected. Well, she died in 1866, and uh, before her death, she provided that a trust be set up where would it amass sufficient funds, there would be a chapel and a home built for seafarers. 
Well, 50 years out of her death in 1916, it came to pass. And if you've been downtown, you've probably noticed on the corner of East Bay and Market Street what was once a church. That's the old Siemens Chapel. Uh, and there was a home there as well. And it was a very vibrant ministry for some almost 50 years. But it began to gradually wane its presence there. And it was due to the fact, well, some would say, well, why in the world did the church sell this property? And the, the church lost its sense of mission and ministry. Well, the reason that it was sold was during the turn of the last century, ships would have been in port for days at a time, maybe weeks. And now the nature had changed. It was a matter of a day or two, and they were gone. So the direction of the ministry had to change. And so after the, 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 uh, the chapel and home was sold, a few dedicated clergy in, here in Charleston, with the help of a few volunteers, they would keep that ministry going by going to the docks where the seafarers were. For a short while, there was an international group called the British Seafarers International that would come to Charleston, and they would try to continue uh, in putting more structure to that ministry. And they were there here in Charleston for a while. But then they decided to pull out their operations and con concentrate on ministering to seafarers in the third world countries. So that's the reason that in 2001, the Charleston Port and Seafarer Society was organized uh, and they hired their first chaplain. And they had a few volunteers, a handful of volunteers and uh, they would be committed to go to the ports and, and try to board the, uh, the ships. Well, about a year and a half later, the director decided to, to accept a call with a local church here in Charleston. And that's where I come on the scene 10 years ago. I was asked by Bishop Skilton, uh, I just retired from active parish ministry 10 years ago, primarily in the Memphis area, but Charleston was my home. Holy Trinity Church was our home church that sent me to seminary. He asked if I would consider doing chaplaincy work. Priests really, they never retire, and, and I didn't want to literally retire. So I said, yes, I would like to take a look at it. And so I did, and of course the rest is history. A little bit, if I might, talk about seafarers. Each year, 65,000 come to the port of Charleston from around the world. You can imagine that great a number. But it shouldn't surprise you if you know how historic, our history, historically speaking, uh, shipping has been to the port of Charleston. Probably over 20,000 jobs are directly or indirectly affected by the port of South Carolina, port of Charleston. But of these seafarers that come into Charleston, on the average of four or five different nationalities on each ship. And what's so difficult for them, they're away from their home eight months to a year at a time, in port for just a few hours and they're gone. But they make this sacrifice out of economic necessity to provide for their families. There was a survey uh, conducted last year uh, 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 with seafarers done by the international group the data was recently published in a magazine. One statistic was very revealing that they had interviewed 1,000 Filipino seafarers. 
their average monthly salary was $636. And they spent right at an average of $150 communicating with their families. That much of their salary going to stay in touch with their families. That being so important. And it is such a dangerous occupation, as we know with piracy still very much at the forefront of, of, of shipping. This movie that's just to be released by Tom Hanks called Captain Phillips speaks to the Merced, Alabama, being hijacked by pirates and the crew being held of the ship. Uh, luckily, it had a successful end, but it speaks to the danger of, of, of seafarers. A little bit about our volunteers. We have almost 60 volunteers today from six different denominations, from Southern Baptists all the way to Roman Catholics. And that's where I think our strength lies, where a Baptist minister this year could get up in his pulpit and say, the seafarers ministry is one of the local and regional ministries we're choosing to partner with. And the bishop of the Catholic Diocese of the of South Carolina here in Charleston wrote a parish pastoral letter to all of his parishes, commending this ministry for people to get involved in, and some of the clergy as well. Bishop Lawrence has two of his deacons as part of this ministry. They each still have different gifts. Some say, well, I, you know, I'm not very good at praying. You know, I'll do anything for them, maybe take them shopping, but, but that's they, had, they have particular gifts, and what they bring is remarkable, as it just with a couple of stories I'll share with you. But it is that they go home feeling each day that they've helped make a difference. We board the ships seven days a week, 24-7. We board them, we visit with them. Actually, if occasion arises and they would like, we would pray with them. We provide free Bibles, devotionals. And uh, this is very well received, even among non-Christians, Buddhists, Hindus. They like for you to pray for them. And they begin to get a feel for what Christianity is about when we seek to minister to them. Those are some of the spiritual needs. But the physical needs are also very important. If they only import for a few hours, going from their families eight months to a year at a time, most of the time spent at sea, just for an hour or two to go shopping. They just can't be grateful enough in expressing how much they, they, can, they want to thank them. So we, we provide free transportation to carry on shopping. It's so important because they depend upon us. They've virtually depended upon us since 9-11 because no one can come onto the terminals unless they have a, a, a card, they call a slip card. And the guys on the ships, if they go shopping, someone has to be there to escort them. Taxis are very expensive, unreliable, and so they depend upon us. I say expensive. Six months ago, I guess, there were about five or six of them that wanted to go shopping at local Walmart, 10 minutes away. The taxi drive charged them round trip $120. But we do this free. We do this free. Uh, as well as providing them free access to computers, phones where they can contact them. And it's all done on the docks, the very terminals here in South Carolina. If you can imagine the generosity of the 
state courts authority, allowing a sinner to be on the dock where our presence could be there to help his fellow. Because 24-7, they could walk off the ship right into the Senate and contact their family. The Port Authority recognizes what this, these crews mean to our economy, and the Port Authority wants to take care of them. And they're so grateful for the opportunity for us to be there, or get, or make the opportunity available to help these seafarers. And I say this is free because we don't believe in funding our ministry on the backs of those we seek to serve. And thanks to the generosity of churches like St. Paul's, we're able to, this is made possible. And again, I thank you for your generosity. And then the question might be in your mind, how do you know you're making a difference? Sit here only for a few hours. Well, they may be back again, maybe four or five times uh, on return trips and back in Port maybe every six weeks until their contract runs out. But when you've got a center with computers where they have Skype capability, and you have a seafarer there at the computer there wanting you to come run and see the new baby that has just been born, who can show you that new son or that new daughter. Or a seafarer from Montenegro about 10 days ago, I guess. His children laughing, he could see their daddy, but all the while he was signing to his wife, she was deaf. And this would not have been possible without Skyping capabilities. And these are things you cannot put a price on. We do each year Christmas at sea, which some of you certainly might be interested in being a part of. You can adopt a seafarer or congregation can adopt an entire ship for maybe the average crew's 21, 23 for about 10 or 12 dollars a seafarer. We provide the box and what we ask that goes in it for the gift or uniform. We will take them to the ship beginning the first week in Advent. Last year we gave out almost, almost 1,800 gifts made possible by the generosity of churches and businesses in the Charleston area. So uh, we would be so pleased to have you a part of, of, of participating in this manner as well. We gave out over 4,000 hand-knitted watch caps. Particularly popular among women's guilds in the Baptist church. They've done it for so many years. But all the denominations, the, the groups that are dating and providing watch caps to these seafarers. And they can go on right on well after Christmas when they're out on the seas. Uh, and they always forget, they don't want us to, to not forget too how much they appreciate these gifts at Christmas time. I've seen Muslim crews brought to tears by the fact that somebody remembered them with a gift, only for the crew, the rest of them who were Christians, to tell them a little bit about what Christianity is about. The message of gift giving at Christmas. The way I see it is simply this, that we are just sowing seeds. We don't see, have to always see the harvest. That's for our Lord to take care of. We're simply fulfilling our mission of reaching out to men and women who make their livelihood at sea without regard to race, nationality, ethnicity, politics, or religion. And a case in point with that, as you may have read in the paper, maybe a week or so ago, of a ship here in one of the shipyards. The, the, the ship, the engines were down, they could not leave. 
and the crew was being told that they might be here at the shipyard for 10 months. And they were not allowed to get off the ship because none of them had visas or shore passes. We were asked if we could go out there to take care of this crew. So we went out there, myself and one other uh, volunteer. Most of our volunteers are lay. We do have clergy, but we have lay ministers as well, lay chaplains. But my first thought was, after leaving, they're all Hindu. So I contacted the Hindu temple here in Charleston. I said, would you like to come and say a few prayers with your crew? And I got a response was almost an hour. We would love to come and visit with our fellow countrymen. And all the while they know by the crosses on our helmets that Christians were making this possible. So they had a Hindu service there on the ship there. And they asked me to sit down in a place of honor and my feet were going to sleep as I was sitting on my feet. But uh, after it was over with, there were two that were leading the prayers. One of them was a math professor at the College of Charleston, 25 years on the faculty, and the other was a cardiologist at the medical university. And his response after it was over, he said to us, he said, I can see Jesus in what y'all do. And that just speaks volumes to me. And it speaks to what I think Jesus was saying in our gospel when the apostles wanted their faith increased. And that essentially he was saying that if we just simply act on the faith that we already have, do what is simply our duty. As paltry as our faith may seem, we can uproot majestic trees and be planted in the seed. We can move mountains, literally. We can be about changing the world. And this, my brothers and sisters, I think this is the very purpose for which we were created.